Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining us for what is going to be yet another spectacular podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, available at Amazon. And volumes one through six are in audio format at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. Well, folks, we've got some really cool stuff lined up for today. And uh, without any further ado, I'm going to welcome in my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how (laughs) are you? I'm good. How about you, Bill? Pretty good. You know, I'm going to apologize to our listeners. Uh, We kind of slipped by on one podcast because I blew my back out, as you know, Kev. I know. I was going to ask you how you're doing. Well, I'm doing like a million times better. It's borderline miraculous. Uh, I thought I was going to be down for a couple of weeks on Thursday. And uh, I'm feeling really pretty damn good right now. So thank God for that. Probably that Bigfoot chiropractor that you go and see. Yeah, he's he's a little rough on the cage. (laughs) (laughs) And Kev, you remember speaking of being a little rough on the cage. You remember the old Dick Tracy cartoon, Joe Jitsu? Oh, yeah. <laughs> He'd grab somebody by the arm and just start flipping them left and right. That's like my <laughs> chiropractor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So let's uh, let's uh, dive right in here, bro. What do we got uh, stashed All away right. for this episode? Tonight in Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities, we're going to the land of creepiness. Love creep. so we're going to talk about vampires oh man yeah we're gonna gonna end up believe it or not with some vampires in colorado in the good old us of a nice nice well it's good to know that they're spreading around a little bit you know oh well they like to ski too apparently (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness so what have you dug up on the uh vampire uh legend Well, you know, so we'll get to a a news story, some websites and stuff like that. But we're going to start with a little bit of the history of the vampire, right? I figured let's go back to the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And the definition. Of course, vampires have been, uh, they got a lot of new popularity with um, uh, some of the TV specials. One of them called True Blood. And, of course, the uh, Twilight book series, and then uh, movie series as well. So they kind of, vampires are on a bit of a popular culture comeback. Yeah, well, there are cults of vampirism. 
Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. And when you search on it, there's some creepy sites out there as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's on the amazing. normal web, not yeah. even, you know, going over to dark web. Yeah, I mean, there's, there are people out there who have partners and they share sucking each other's blood. Exactly. They feel that they get more energy or get more life, you know, uh, re- remain young if they drink human blood. Yeah, and a little COVID on the way. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So what else, Bill? What are the what are the traditional characteristics of a vampire? Well, uh, we know they drink blood, right? Uh, you know, turning into if you remember the old Bella Lugosi Dracula turning into the bat. Oh yeah, uh, sleeping in a coffin, raising up at night. You know, all of those things. Hated the sunlight. Yeah, they, they generally they say sunlight weakens their powers. Uh-huh. And we're going to talk about maybe one of the causes of that legend, maybe. Okay. And you mentioned they could turn into a bat. Some uh, some of the legends say they could also turn into a wolf as well. Yeah, and also they uh, they were always depicted as hating the sign of the cross, the crucifix. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, and then, of course, to kill one, in many cultures, they spoke about... Uh, uh, driving a stake through the heart, even when it was dead or supposedly oh, you're dead. you're spot on. We're going to get to some good stuff on that one. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I think they say, too, like silver bullet. Like if you shot one, it would have to be a silver bullet that would kill them. Uh-huh. I don't know if they meant Coors Light silver bullet. <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, throw a 16-ounce can at them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and then they also, uh, you know, going back to Bram Stoker's novel and uh, outside of that novel as well, they're often believed to have had that hypnotic effect on their victims, right? You remember that? Even with Bela Lugosi, he could kind of look at people and they would fall into a trance. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and also that character from Bram Stoker, that Nosferatu. Yeah. He was a creepy. He was supposedly like the living dead or something, right? Exactly. I mean, that's the thing with the coffin. You know, they're like, um, you know, uh, 500 years old or 1,000 year years old just because uh, they never really die. Yeah. And like, you know, there's a mixed bag. Of course, Hollywood took liberty with Lugosi, making him to look like this suave, slick-haired guy with the neatly pressed silk... Uh, uh, cape on, you know, and uh, the, that uh, voice he used to speak in. Look into my eyes, deeper, deeper. <laughs> yeah, that's that hypnotic effect. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, and of course, Bella was there. And, uh, you know, when uh, Lou Costello was looking in his eyes, he was seeing the little bats flying around. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> that stuff was excellent. <laughs> yeah, by the way, in uh, popular culture, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Bill. Uh, my One of my kids uh, put me onto it. But there's a TV series called What We Do in the Shadows. Have you seen that? No. It's, pre- it's pretty funny and, and uh, I, guess, I guess a little creepy, but mostly funny. Uh-huh. And it's about a modern-day group of vampires kind of living together. Great. So, folks, check that out if you want a little creep and comedy. Oh, boy. 
But I mean, the great, you know, the epic novel about Dracula was written by Bram Stoker, like we've touched upon. And a lot of people realize how long ago it was published, but it was 1897. Yeah, it's a good long so, while ago. Yeah, and it's, a, it's worth a read, folks. Like, if you've never read it, I think you can download it for free because it's outside of uh, print and outside of copyright and stuff like that going so far back. But I read it origi- for the first time probably 15 years ago. And uh, this is an absolute true story. I'm going to share it with you. I don't know if I'll do this, Bill, but I read it while I was traveling in Europe and specifically while I was traveling between the UK and uh, Budapest, Hungary, okay. and Romania. Okay. Yeah. And you know, when you read so the you book, were right especially in the zone if you're tra- there, right in the wheelhouse, right in the zone, because, you know, uh, Dracula, good old Dracula would travel from the UK uh, in a coffin full of dirt on a ship back to uh, Transylvania and in Budapest as well. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm there. And when you're traveling, folks, yeah, I'm sure you've been been traveling and you read a book, you're by yourself and you kind of get wrapped up in the book, especially if it's uh, like, you know, one that pulls you along with it, which Dracula does. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm reading it and I'm in Budapest uh, and I'm supposed to meet a business partner who's from Romania. It, this this is funny, Bill, but it's absolutely true. And we meet uh-huh. for dinner, and I'm waiting to meet him. I never met him before, and it's in this basement restaurant, kind of like a rat skeller in Budapest, uh, down on the Danube River. And okay. he comes in, and he looks a little bit like a cross between Eddie Munster and Count Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> Did he have a woof woof doll? He didn't have a woof woof doll, but that would have been. <laughs> but he comes Aye. in and I'm like, holy crap, this guy is creepy. You know, and I'm in one of the really creepy parts of the book. And like uh-huh. I actually had it with me in my briefcase and I was reading it, waiting for him to show up. And I'm like, oh, so you know, do you live in Budapest? He's like, No, no, I live across in Romania in the hills. Yeah, and in I'm the like, dirt oh. somewhere. <laughs> 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 I mean, you know me, Bill. Like, I wear my expressions on my face. I must have looked like Luke Costello, you know. Like, Whoa. And then I'm like, so, uh, you know, uh, how long have you been living there? And he says, my family has been there for 600 years. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, who answers the question that way? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, so what does like that make you? 400 years old? <laughs> 600 years. Give or take. Give or take. Who's counting? <laughs> Where do you live? Uh, over there. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but anyway, if you've never read that book, you have to read it. It's good. It's creepy. Use this as a, a reason to go out and download it again. I think it's a free download at this stage. But uh-huh. So anyway, so a lot of folks think that Bram Stoker uh, was Bram, Bram Stoker's character named Count Dracula was named after a guy called Vlad the Impaler. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that, Bill? Oh, yeah. He was nasty business, that dude. Nasty business. So Vlad was born in uh, Transylvania, Romania, right across from uh, Budapest. 
And uh, and he ruled uh, the area of Romania called Wal- Wallachia, Wallachia, off and on from 1456 to 1462. So going back in like 30 years before Columbus discovered America. Yeah. Yeah, and some folks say that, um, you know, he was a fair person, but brutally, uh, a brutally mean and vicious uh, ruler, right? Yeah. And he fought off the Ottoman Empire there in Romania during the time, which, you know, that was some brutal, uh, brutal fighting. But he got the name of Vlad the Impaler because he was his favorite way to kill his opponent was to impale them on a wooden stake. Yeah. And he also, he had the way that led up to his castle on that mountain. Uh, he had a thing for impaling victims on the roadway coming up. Yeah, just to kind of warn them. Like, yeah, just kind of let you know what you're walking into. If kind you of an early some... days, no trespassing sign. Yeah, you might say <laughs> that. <laughs> Proceed if you dare. Exactly, exactly. I mean, can so, you imagine that? Can you imagine walking up a path to some castle and the smell and the stench of rotting bodies impaled, skeletons sticking out, just flesh and, uh, you know, as far as you could see. So you're saying, could I imagine continuing to walk up? Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 not under any circumstance. (laughs) Oh my! So then, uh, so the other thing that I learned, and some of these details here come from our friends at history.com. They talked about the fact that, um, Vlad got this reputation tied to Bram Stoker's Count Dracula, not only because of the location, but apparently after he would kill his victims and impale them, he would often sit and eat dinner with them and then, like, dip his bread in their blood. Ugh. I told you this was going to be creepy. Uh, I mean, how bad is that? Yeah, well, you know, obviously, if that is true, there I, I get the vicious part. I get the sending a message part. But you've got to be really twisted uh, to sit down with the dead and dunk bread and blood. I mean, there was something wrong with that guy. Oh, no doubt about that. Wow. So so that's pretty interesting. But then there's some researchers, uh, like real vampire historians, and they say that there really isn't is not a connection between uh, Bram Stoker's story and Vlad the Impaler. I didn't find any details of why there was, in fact, no connection, but, mm-hmm. you know. I guess maybe regionally uh, people know in the historicity of this dude, uh, Vlad, and then the story. I could see somebody making a connection like he must have got this from that or, you know, he was sent down this path after, you know, knowing the history behind this other fellow. I, I could see that, but like you say, there's no hardcore connection that said he did this because of that. No, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. interesting. So, um, you know, just talking about are these real or not, these vampires in ancient times. And, you know, the vampire superstition, a lot of folks say that it thrived, back in the Middle Ages, so way back when, right? You know, and um, especially during the time where the plague decima- decimated 
entire uh, towns and kingdoms, right? Yeah. And apparently after the plague came through, one of the signs on the dead victims was that their their mouth would be bleeding, mm. right? So blood kind of coming out of their mouth. Yeah. So that kind of started part of the reputation of that these people were in fact vampires, right? They were sucking blood and the blood was coming out of their mouth when they died. Right. And you think that you could th- th- see that that was done out of ignorance, obviously, because they didn't realize the people had ruptured internally and were bleeding out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's more superstitious. Yeah, and then, yeah, well, and and you know, a lot of times in ancient times, that when people didn't understand something, they blamed whatever the sickness was. They blamed the person on you know the devil or right you know, vampire or whatever was unknown and creepy, right? Right. Or... Even if it was a real sickness. Or he's a witch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, don't get the witches going, Bill. I don't... You know me, Kim. I, don't I start, feel all that mail again. I start in with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but another sickness that was going on back then in the Middle Ages, which I didn't, I never heard of before until I started researching this, is something called porphyria. And uh, this is a blood disorder that can cause severe blisters on the skin when, it, when you're exposed to sunlight. Mm. So that's kind of interesting, right? Yeah. Like that's where you see somebody go out in the sunlight and they get the blisters and you're like, oh, you're a vampire. Right. right. By the way, we forgot one of the other tests for vampirism. You remember the mirror one? Oh, yeah. He couldn't see his reflection. You have no reflection, yeah. too. Yeah, so. that was interesting. So it's interesting. Like if the blisters aren't enough in this porphyria, it, the symptoms can temporarily be relieved by ingesting blood. Ugh. So pretty clear connection there, like where you could say this person's a vampire. You see him drinking blood, and then you see them out in the sun and their skin blisters up. You know, it's like you think about some of this stuff, like who was doing the first testing and decided, well, let's drink some blood and see what happens. <laughs> it's kind of weird, you know, the history of some of the, ar- the arcane history of some medicine is like really yep. bizarre. Yeah, but uh, you know, I mean, I guess it's just like finding out what's a poisonous plant. Somebody ate it and dropped dead. Yep. You know, I mean, it's, it's a weird, weird thing. You know. Yeah, no doubt about uh. it. So, if we go now, you know, back from uh, the Middle Ages into the twentieth century, the early twentieth century, and we go to good old Colorado, USA. Wow. There was a Transylvanian immigrant named Theodore or Fodor Glava, and he worked as a coal miner in Colorado and, like many others in Colorado, died during the 1918 flu epidemic, right? And we can relate to that now in our lovely COVID-19 pandemic. Um, You know, and of course, it's a tragic story taking place in the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic. But apparently, uh, Glava, this Transylvanian immigrant, he was very tall. He was very pale. Of course, he did work in a coal mine. So, you know, that might make you pale, Uh, probably make you a little hunched over from crawling around in a coal coal mine if you're really tall. And then he had abnormally long fingernails. 
and folks around town at that time thought he actually was a vampire. Unbelievable. Well, you figure in 1918, you know, Dracula, the book, was probably the rage, right, in early books. And people meet somebody from Transylvania, you know, and they're kind of tall, you know, pale-looking, hang out in a cave all day and have these weird long fingernails. Eh, might as well be a vampire. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, <laughs> we're now going to call you vamp. <laughs> <laughs> so get this. So the guy dies, you know, terribly in the Spanish flu epidemic. And like you were saying at the start of the podcast, you didn't even know what I was going to talk about. Uh, you know, you said often after these folks died, then they would drive a stake through their heart or cut their heads off or burn them because they were believed to be undead and that they could come back then out of the ground as a vampire. And don't tell me that's right? what these people did to this guy? So Glava, they drive a stake through his heart. Oh. And then today, you're not going to believe this, Bill, but, you know, his gravestone is still there in, uh, in Colorado. And, um, it, there, and I'm going to post a YouTube video of this, and it's real as ever. You know, it doesn't look at all staged in any way. Apparently, there's this tree that is growing up out of his grave, a big tree, kind of right where his heart would have been oh. laying under his tombstone. So the legend around Colorado is that he was a vampire and this wooden stake is actually growing out of his heart. Oh, what a freaking tall tale that is. Yeah, but you got to see the video. Oh. I mean, in the middle of this graveyard, this tree is growing right out of his so grave. So it's like uh, his dead body brought life to this otherwise dead stake. And exactly. uh, created this tree climbing out of his grave. I, I have to tell you, uh, I have never seen a tree growing out of a <laughs> burial site. I haven't either. And I'm telling you, I'm going to put the YouTube video up on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, uh. and just check it out. It's this couple is going out because I guess people go to this town and they go out looking for it, Yeah, you know, as kind of a scavenger hunt. And uh, they they got the video running while they're looking for it. Now, unfortunately, it looks like it's about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It would have been much better if it was like 2 uh, o'clock in the morning and there was a full moon and maybe Mothman was uh, flying. Yeah, yeah. Now, listen, a little message <laughs> to our listeners. You know, before you go to the website, uh, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, and you want to sit down and view this uh, beautiful video clip, I recommend a couple of things. First of all, go down to your local bakery and get a nice loaf of fresh semolina bread. And then pour yourself a cup of A-B-O positive blood and dunk your semolina in the blood while you're watching the video. I think that would make it a little bit more of a lively event, don't you, Kev? Oh, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Fantastic. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Trees growing out of his heart. Now, the next thing that would really add to the creep fest is if people were seeing the guy walking around or in the the old mine shafts or something, you know? 
Well, not quite that, but the the news story that I promised you comes from uh, uh, 2010 out in Grand Junction, Colorado, so out west in the state. Um, And apparently back then, it was one of the most popular stories on the website there. And basically, a local woman was blaming a vampire for causing her to drive her SUV into a canal uh, one late evening on a Sunday night. Mm. And the troopers that investigated it said, although there was no evidence of the bloodsucker, um, it does beg the question, could there really be vampires in the Grand Valley of Grand Junction, Colorado? Apparently, they said there was no drugs or alcohol factors in the crash. Um, the woman said that she was going down the road uh, and forward and then saw this vampire come out on the road. It started running after her. She threw the SUV into reverse, of course, probably panicked, and backed the SUV into a canal there off of the road. Boy, oh boy. And fortunately, although she wrecked her car, she did not, as far as we know, get attacked by the vampire. You know, when you you hear a story like that and you wonder, is this just a a tall tale by some half-wacky woman? Or did something really strange happen to her that night? And did she, in fact, slam the brakes, throw it in reverse in a panic, smash the accelerator and, you know, ended up in the ditch in in the creek, you know? That's weird stuff, man. So, by the way, if you want to go see Glava's grave, the immigrant from Transylvania that died in the Spanish flu epidemic, it's in the Lafayette Municipal Cemetery in Lafayette, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And apparently the grave site is in the northwest corner, and it's got this large curved tree growing out of the center of his chest. Wow. Wow. And then finally, Bill, you know, we were talking about, you mentioned that there's some real vampires out there, you know, people that, you know, little colonies of them that, you know, uh, have a partner that's a vampire also or whatever. And, um, you know, out there in Colorado, uh, there's a website, uh, again, this time in uh, the beautiful city of Colorado Springs, Colorado, which I've been to many times, but I didn't know it was a apparently a bit of a rumored vampire mm-hmm. hotbed. Um, there's a website that talks about the whole vampire community Jeez. there. Uh, you know. And I don't know. You know, it could be a whole spoof, but it's pretty fun, pretty interesting. They have pictures of different characters uh, that are wanted, you know, by this group of vampires, you know, for, you know, killing a vampire and things Great. like that. I mean, you know, Kev, really, yeah. you know, in, in this day and age, you, you just can't make this stuff up. It's just freaking, no, no. Uh, I mean, there are some people out there that are just off their rocker. No know? doubt about and, that. Uh, no doubt. You know, what can I say, man? <laughs> yeah. If I upset a couple of vampires out there, tough. <laughs> yeah, send a... Send the yeah, mail send to Bill. Of Bill. You are the witches. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is freaking crazy, Kev. You know, now you got me yeah. thinking. I never read that, but I, I may uh, get. Oh man, yeah. download it. Now it's, free. Is it, it's called Dracula, right? That was Bram Stoker's Dracula. Ca- yeah, I think Dracula, Bram Stoker, eighteen ninety-seven. Yeah, 
It's fantastic. It's it's uh, like I didn't know what to expect. You know, it was a free download even back then, 15 years ago. And I was like, oh, it's probably written poorly and it'll be a real drag to get through it. It's a page turner and it's an absolute creep yeah. fest, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I could go for the creep factor occasionally, you know. Absolutely. Wow, wow that's excellent. Kev. What a great segment on uh, the history of vampire. Uh, you know, and, and talk about other oddities. That is definitely another oddity. Uh, you no know, doubt. when you say the word oddity, like, where does it end? I mean, there's some bizarre stuff that has happened and will continue to happen, you know? And no uh, yeah. that's what it's all about, you know, digging it up and bringing some of the stuff to the surface and chatting it up a little bit. Well, now, I've got something really cool here today. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this, Kev. Uh, I've done this account uh, a number of times on interviews, and I didn't think we had done it on the podcast, and I had it in my head because when I'm done uh, reading this account, I want you to tell me what it reminds you of in reference to uh, other oddity segments that we've done over the past uh, year. I think one of the segments you reported on is just going to flash virtually immediately into your mind after you hear this account. Uh, all right. So all this right. was told to me by a fellow named Edward Seuss. Uh, no relation to Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <laughs> or green eggs and ham. Uh, a resident <laughs> of the state of Oregon. So here we are again in the hotbed of Oregon. And this is what Edward encountered when hunting in northern Oregon in the fall of 2003. As I told you when we first spoke, Bill, I was hunting solo October 1st in 03, working my way up through the Willamette National Forest and nearing the fringes of what is known as the Three Sisters Wilderness. Now, I have to stop immediately, Kev. I didn't even realize this, but the fellow we were talking about uh, one or two podcasts ago who I spoke to had his encounter in the Three Sisters. That was the guy uh -huh. that had the 5,000 acres? Yeah, oh, yeah. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he uh, was in and around the Three Sisters Wilderness as well. And I had no knowledge of that before I picked this up tonight. So it's just uh, coincidental. He said that I was breaking out of some fairly heavy timber and coming into an area where I was faced with low mountainous terrain on three sides. So he's coming into like this... Uh, a, a wall, if you will, like stepping into a room of mountains, left, right, and in front of him. To my northeast, there was a very distinct ridge line sloping down from a peak that was in view directly in front of me. As I was making my way through the timber, and it was beginning to thin out, I noticed what appeared at first to be a pile of branches heaped up between several large trees. It appeared to be shaped like a dome, B 
being about 12 feet tall or so. This was an extremely unusual thing to run across, and I had never seen anything like it in all of my days hunting. So quite naturally, I went over to investigate it more closely. Nearing this structure, it very much resembled a roughly built Quonset hut, and it had a large opening in one side of it. Immediately, I could tell that this structure had been assembled and did not occur randomly by some act of nature. First of all, the nature of the forest, which was predominantly large pines in the area, did not lend itself to a large quantity of fallen branches being on the ground. And in particular, a pile of branches falling together to form a 12-foot fall tall, 12-foot-tall heap below the trees. Looking through the opening, which was about six feet tall and some four feet wide, I could now see other tree boughs which were laid out covering the entire interior of the hut, about two feet deep. And there were more than a few animal bones scattered about the interior. I have to tell you that I was more than a little bit puzzled by what I was seeing. My initial thoughts being that some hunter or hunters had gone to quite a bit of trouble to put this together as a shelter when in the area. But that thought was trumped by that of the bones inside. It's not as though there are cavemen living here gnawing on dinosaur legs in the confines of their hut. I stepped back, withdrawing my head from inside of the hut, when for whatever reason I felt as though I was being watched. Call it intuition, sixth sense, or whatever you want. I felt like a pair of eyes were burning a hole through my flesh. I was hunting that day with a vintage M1 carbine that had a clip. And this feeling of being watched was now overwhelming my senses. I started to scan the surrounding area when my eyes were drawn to something dark on the ridgeline, which I told you about earlier. Whatever this was that I was now seeing was not on the ridge earlier. The distance was far too great to estimate how tall or what it was. But in my estimation at the time... It was certainly something standing upright and all in black. My first thought was that of a hunter dressed in dark clothing who happened to be walking the ridge and noticed me below, stopping to have a look at his fellow hunter. But this was about to change and change dramatically. Suddenly and without warning, this man or whatever it was, broke from its position on the ridge and began running down the slope, heading in my direction. Now, this ridge had to have been several thousand feet in elevation and was fairly clear of any brush or trees. And exactly how far away it was from my position was an undetermined quantity. I realized within the first 15 seconds or so, that there was absolutely no way this could be a man. I say this because of the amount of ground that was being covered and how quickly, as it was now running down the slope. In 30 seconds time, 
It must have descended a thousand feet and was closing rapidly. I was now fully aware that this was not and could not be a man. If I was to descend the same slope, I would have had to done so so slowly and cautiously, and it would have more than likely taken me half an hour or more. Within about 90 seconds, this creature, which I was now convinced was a Sasquatch, was now at the base of the mountain and running straight at me. At the time, I had estimated the distance to be between six and 900 yards between myself and the mountain's base. I had no scope on my gun, and this thing was now coming straight towards me like a freight train. I had an eight-round clip in my rifle, and I lowered the gun, pointing it above the head of the oncoming beast, squeezing off my first round. The shot rang out with a loud blast echoing against the mountains, and the beast kept coming. It was close enough now where I could see the movements of what were arms. Do you remember the scene in the Terminator movie, Bill? when the cop was chasing the car, or whatever it was, and he was running with the arms pumping at an incredible and unrelenting pace. This is exactly what I was seeing. I now knew that if I didn't kill this thing, that I was a dead man. Putting the sight right on him, I squeezed off rounds two and three, and it kept coming. I couldn't believe what was happening, and I began to tremble violently. I had several rounds left, being sure that I had hit him with the last two, which had no effect whatsoever. He kept running, and I leaned against a tree, steadying my shaking hands and gun, and squeezed off round four, and nothing He was now at maybe only a hundred yards, and in a moment I could now make out the details of his body. And as I pulled the trigger on bullet number five, he dropped. I took the opportunity to quickly reload as the beast lay unmoving out before me. Having done so, I slowly began approaching this, what what I was now believing was a monster, with my gun mounted and pointing directly at it. I was stalking it like a marine approaching an enemy foxhole, expecting it to rise to its feet at any moment and resume its attack. When I was within about 100 feet, I put two more rounds into it and finished the job. When I came to within about 20 feet of the monster, it was unmoving and very much dead, and I fell to my knees. Both physically and mentally, I felt as though I had just finished a marathon, my body being completely drained of energy, and tears started to roll down my cheeks. For whatever reason, I don't know. As it now lay before me, the Sasquatch was all of 10 feet long and possibly 1,500 pounds or greater. Its fur was soaked and blood, and there was blood running out of its mouth. 
How it could have kept such a pace, having been hit so many times, is beyond belief. I was quite sure that three of the rounds had hit it in the chest, with the fifth bullet finishing the job. If I had brought my bolt action that day, I don't believe that I would be alive to tell this tale. This hut that I had run across had obviously belonged to this creature, and it was none too happy about my being there. The way it was running to me appeared as though it was on a kill-and-destroy mission, and I wasn't going to waste any time waiting to be on the receiving end of its wrath. Being somewhat afraid at the time of potential repercussions for my actions that day, I left the beast right where it had dropped and retreated back out of the woods. I wasn't about to wait around for the immediate family to arrive with vengeance on its mind. The beast, as it lay before me, was covered in dark brown hair. Its face did not look human or like that of a monkey. It simply looked like that of a Sasquatch. To me, it is not a hybrid type of anything. It is, in fact, its own entity, being completely and solely what it is and nothing else. At any rate, that is what I both saw and shot that day in the Oregon wilderness. Whoa. What do you think of that, Kip? Oh, man, that's amazing. I mean, you can kind of imagine you're there and this thing is running at you, you know, like an Olympic giant, like a giant Olympic athlete, right? And he's sitting there with the eight-round clip wishing it was a 36-round clip. Yeah, you know, and somebody got back to me a long time ago. I had done an interview uh, somebody commented me, to me on the story, uh, and they told me that that type of shell in that gun, uh, now you would think what kind of rifle bullet doesn't have a wallop, but according to this guy, it was a very small bore or something about the shell in that military weapon uh, that really was not good for like big game hunting per se, you know? Right. Well, it was kind of compact, right? The carbine, you know, relatively speaking. Yeah, and I don't know what the American response was, but I remember uh, uh, people saying that the Japanese were using, or maybe it was the Viet Cong, were using small bore rifles to wound people. Uh, The theory being that if I wound a guy, it takes two or three men out of the fight to carry him away. Oh, that makes sense. But anyways, Kev, what account did that remind you of? The setting. Well, you know, you're saying with something running at you or seeing it up on the ridgeline? Right. The ridgeline and finding yeah. the apparent uh, hut. The uh, hut. Or, yeah. It's uh, what's the guy's name? He's with the church group. The Marble Mountain. Marble Mountain. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and I, for whatever reason, it flashed in my head the other day, and I said, I'm going to yeah, pull that Yeah, they come across down. the hut, they see the creature walking along the ridgeline. Of course, it doesn't run after them, thank goodness. But And I got to thinking about that, the not running after them. And you recall there was quite a crowd of people there that yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bunch of yeah, youth, teen, you know, teen youth group uh, from the church and some chaperones. 
Right. Whereas this guy was alone. Yeah, that makes sense. And remember that that was one of the cases where the Bigfoot is like, you know, nervous and agitated up on the ridgeline, kind of pacing back and forth. Right. In a weird way, like we've heard in other accounts as well. Yeah, to me, it, it, it was the epitome. When I looked at that, I saw frustration. Oh, yeah. Like indecision. What yeah, do I do? what are do? you doing in my house? You know. Right. And maybe maybe it was like what happened with this guy. Maybe that thing was thinking of running down the hill. Maybe. And was intimidated by the amount of uh, bodies it saw. Yeah, what, or it's like indecision. You know, it's frustrated. Like, should I do it? Should I not? You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a very strange. The old Clash song. Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay or should I go now? (laughs) (laughs) But how about this guy? He took this thing down and left it there. Yeah. uh, Basically in self-defense. And uh, said, according to his words, I didn't want anything to do with it or potential repercussions. Yeah, but take some pictures of it. Maybe he did take some pictures of it, and he's still afraid to share them, you know. Yeah, who knows, man? Who knows? I don't know. There there was a guy uh, who interviewed on Coast to Coast uh, many years ago. His name was Bugs. I think his name was Bugs. Uh, Down south, I want to say Texas. Uh, He claimed that him and his buddies uh, uh, banged out two Bigfoot. And uh, they had second thoughts about this thing being considered human and having committed murder. Yeah. uh, And they buried him. And at the time, it was on Art Bell's old show uh, when Art Bell was still alive. And uh, Art claimed that uh, this guy gave him a map uh, and said that uh, he would take him there and show him if he would sign off and say that... uh, uh, Art and the uh, radio uh, entity would pay his legal bills if some type of trouble developed from it. Mm-hmm. I think that was the way it was going back then, as I recall. It was a weird set of circumstances, which never happened. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I guess Art didn't want to uh, sign off on his legal bills. Yeah, no, I was going to say stupid. You know? Yeah. Uh, but the story uh, was a... Uh, it was an interesting interview, and uh, I, I actually have an account, which I'm sure we'll get to someday, uh, with other guys who were out night hunting and uh, banged uh, uh, Bigfoot. We'll get to that down the road somewhere. But there were, right. there were strange guys out there doing weird things, you know, Kev, and uh, it's not necessarily what you or I would do. Uh, but that doesn't mean somebody else isn't doing it. You oh, know no, I mean? no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Crazy. So that's the account. Cool. All right. Well, great account. I love it. On top of Dracula, we've got some fear with Bigfoot running after him and unloading an eight-round clip of his M1 carbine and killing a 10-foot-tall Bigfoot right on top <laughs> of the Dracula story. So cool. <laughs> We got some great viewer mail this week, Bill. Um, We're going to start out. We have another viewer, Darren, writing in about the Minnesota Iceman story. Okay. And I love this, right? So a few weeks back, we uh, did the story on the Minnesota Iceman. Somebody else wrote in a week after that and told us they actually saw it. And Darren writes, 
Hey guys, really enjoyed the episode on the Minnesota Iceman. My dad took me to Sears in Gadsden, Alabama in the early 1970s, and they had the Iceman there. I was seven years old, and it's a sight I will never forget. Look at that. Can you believe it? We paid, then walked down a long hallway to a room in the back, and there it was in a big block of ice. Listening to your show brought back a lot of memories. In the car, all the way there, my dad was telling me that he was taking me to see Bigfoot. Wow. Isn't that cool? It is cool. You know, and this is a reality. Yeah. This is not some bogus. This is something that was going on. Yeah. Same time frame. Good old Sears, you know, Santa Claus and the Iceman. Boy, oh boy. (laughs) And he says, he writes, it was an eerie sight seeing him in the ice with the way his arm was bent. The other guy said that too. Yeah. Um, And he says, I guess I can thank my dad for my lifelong obsession with Bigfoot. Really enjoy the show. Keep up the great work, Darren. Crazy. And, you know, Kev, how interesting is that, that his recollection recollection is such that he remembers his dad saying, not that we're going to see the Iceman. We're going going to see see Bigfoot. Bigfoot. No, I think that's super cool because that was a disconnect in the original story where... You know, it was after, you know, the Patty film, and uh, yet they talked about it like the Iceman, and it sure looked like a Bigfoot. Yeah, what year was this, Kev, from the uh, listener? Early 70s, which that's, okay, so that's you know, right, it was late right 60s, early 70s. They were taking the Iceman around. Right, and apparently, uh, you know, his father had already gotten wind of the Bigfoot story. Yeah. And uh, as a lot of people had at the time, even though we didn't have a fraction of the media we have today. Right. Right. But But uh, awesome. So thank you, Darren. I love this, too. We talk about it all the time, this loop where we talk about a story and then folks write in about it. And in this case, you know, a couple of folks wrote in separately that they remember seeing it and, and what their feelings were when they saw it. It's just awesome. Yeah, it is awesome, you know, yeah. because, look, what is reality? You know, reality is based on life experiences, right? I mean, that's what makes life real to us, events, times, relationships, uh, storms, pandemics, you know, and this is part of this man's reality, and a lot of other people out there uh, have a strong recollection of this Iceman being brought around and having seen it, you know? Yeah. Can you imagine, like, you know, it was just Father's Day, right? If uh, our dad, Bill, <laughs> took us to Sears and Smith Haven Mall back then to <laughs> see the Bigfoot and a block of ice. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, that would have been... Uh, but people would have gone. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, there would have been a line wrapped out outside if that thing was over there. No doubt about it. So it was either a very shrewd uh, way to turn a buck, but remember those other guys when they, they they got into the glass case, the smell of the decaying flesh. Oh yeah, the experts. Yeah, yeah. it was not. That was uh, uh, Sanderson, and uh, ah, it's just slipping yeah, me now. Anyways, 
No names are coming to my brain tonight. I had Sanderson with the Abominable Snowman. Right, um, right. I forget the other gentleman. The other guy, the father of cryptozoology. Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, can't, I just can't think of him right now. Yeah. It's all good. All right, our all next right. letter comes in from Spike. First of all, we like your name, Spike. Love Spike. And he says, hey, WJ. I think he meant to say KJ, too, but he didn't. <laughs> I thought you might be interested in this encounter that I had in 2018 in the Green Swamp. I live in Florida, and I do a lot of hiking in the swamplands of my state. I have had a couple of surgeries. One was a knee replacement and an Achilles repair. I was out testing myself to see if I could still cut it and get my stamina back. I was hiking on one of the trails in the Green Swamp. I always carry a pistol with me when I go out hiking. I always like to go off the trail, so I have a compass with me, so I never really get lost. I carry a gun just in case I happen to meet up with a sow and her piglets. Sometimes they can be pretty nasty. This particular time, the swamp was getting kind of dry. I like to go back into some of the really old cypress hammocks and see if I can take pictures of some of the ghost orchids that grow out there. I was way back into the hammock that I hadn't been in before. I stopped to take a break and use my binoculars to see if I could see any birds that I hadn't seen before. I was sitting next to a cypress tree that was about five feet in diameter. If you know anything about cypress trees, is that they really grow slowly. A five foot in diameter cypress is usually usually about anywhere between... 500 and 700 years old. This hammock that I was in was surrounded by these trees. I was just sitting there taking all of this in when I looked up into the trees when I noticed an owl looking at something to the south of me. I noticed that everything got really quiet. I started to notice that I was hearing a weird popping sucking noise. I looked in the direction that the owl was looking in, and I saw something brownish black bent over, looking like it was digging or scratching in the mud. I thought, great, a damn bear. I was getting ready to make a lot of noise to scare it off when it stood up. It had to be at least seven to seven and a half feet tall. It was about 40 yards away from me. It looked over at me, then then hauled ass. It looked like it was on one of those moving sidewalks that you see in the airports or at Universal Studios, except it was really moving fast. I followed deeper into the swamp. I was moving as fast as I could following it. I followed it another 100 yards deeper into the swamp. It was moving fast, and I saw it jump and grab a branch and pull itself up and disappear into the canopy of the swamp. I went back about another 200 yards into the swamp looking to see if I could get another look at it, but it was gone. It didn't disappear into another dimension. It just vanished into the canopy of the swamp. I made my way back to where I first saw it to see what I I was doing. I found the spot where it was and found a pile of snails. I counted 14 snail shells. These aren't small snails. They're about the size of golf balls. I took pictures of the pile of shells. If you would like to see them, I can send you a picture of them. 
I guess the noise I was hearing was it sucking the snails out of the shell. This is the first time I ever saw anything like this. I've seen wild hogs, bears, gators, and big-ass snakes. Those are B-A-S, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But I never saw anything like this before. I've only told my friend that lives in North Carolina about this. He believes me because he's seen things up there. I have another friend that lives near the swamp. He has lived there his whole life. I asked him one time if he had ever seen anything weird in the swamp, and he only told me, and I quote, there is all kinds of weird bleep going on out there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's the only thing he would tell me. You can use this if you want. I just ask that you don't use my last name. I have a state license, and I don't want to compromise it. If you'd like to talk to me, he gives his phone number, uh, only for you. I really would enjoy you and your brother's show. I really enjoy you and your brother's show. Thanks for mentioning me, at least. (laughs) (laughs) I download it all the time. I got interested in the subject back in 1999 when I heard the most blood-curdling scream. I've never, ever heard in the forest of Oklahoma down around Tahlequah near Lake Tenkiller. I was on vacation visiting some friends. Best regards and thank you. Yeah, and uh, Kev, you know, a a very lengthy report given by Spike. And uh, as you know, I spoke to Spike on the phone for probably the better part of an hour. And uh, once again... Uh, I did not sense or get the slightest inkling uh, in my conversation with him that he was trying to lead me down a path of deception or BSing me in any way. Uh, He told me when he first came up on this thing, first of all, here we go again. He goes down this main pathway, which leads to like a uh, uh, a watershed... uh, area where he says they have uh, like meters they measure uh, they're taking measurements in some area in there to see i guess what the water is doing but he uses that road just to get in there and then he splits with his compass uh into no man's land right so once again we have a person who's out there definitely doing something that most people do not do no and an experienced outdoorsman absolutely and he told me that they were in a dry spell uh, ordinarily, this cypress hammock, and by the way, a hammock, he said, is just a grouping or a cluster of the cypress trees. They call yeah, it Yeah, that's hammock. what I figured. I hadn't heard that expression either. I didn't either. Yeah. But he said generally the cypress roots are in about one to three feet of water, which reminds us of what? Yeah, that, that swamp ape encounter a few weeks ago. Right, yeah. those couple of Same pictures. thing, too, where he sees it and it looks huge and then it stands up. And it's like, whoa. Yeah, now, he brought to life, to me, Kev, those videos we took a look oh, at. Yeah. He said that some of these cypress trees are like six and oh, eight feet wide. They're gigantic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we were looking at that swamp ape or Bigfoot against the side of that tree... That thing may have been twice as big as I was thinking. Exactly. It, it all depends how big that cypress was that it was yep. at, you know? No bow to doubt it. Wow, that's <laughs> freaking. He thinks this thing launched, like grabbed a, a tree branch and flipped up into the trees like a, a gymnast on a high bar. 
Well, it certainly could be, right? Freaking crazy. Why not? But he went back in there that day because he knew the place wasn't flooded out. They were in a dry spell. Yeah. So he yeah. figured, well, it's a good time for me to get a look at some stuff I may not do. Yeah, good to see safe. some stuff that's normally underwater, right? Correct. Yeah. So, and because of that and his, uh, his uh, willingness, boom, here we have this cool uh, account being brought forth by him. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Bill, we, we just did a couple of letters this week, but they're uh, a little bit longer. I think we'll wrap there for the week and just want to thank all of our listeners. Uh, the great five-star reviews keep coming in. I encourage you, again, even if you've left a review before, certainly if you haven't, right now from your favorite podcast player, give us five stars. It's really important that you do because it brings more listeners to the podcast. And as we get more listeners, we are able to continue to improve the quality of the podcast. So thank you very much. Give us five stars. And again, sorry we missed a week, folks. Uh, um, we will make it up to you somehow. <laughs> yeah. And remember, people, if you find yourself out and about looking for Vlad the Impaler, <laughs> always carry more guns than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.